to another episode of Adventure Mind with uh, me, Joshua Loya, aka Joshua the Jedi. That is my uh, my moniker given to me, none other than Mr. Sefer Harinder Singh, who happens to be my guest this episode. Thank you, Sefer, for coming on. My pleasure, buddy. My pleasure, and congratulations on starting this uh, this podcast. I think it's going to serve a lot of people. Thank you. You know, I mean, one of the things you talk about a lot, and, and we were just talking about before we. Uh, before we started recording is the importance of pivoting in times of chaos. And, you know, that's part of what being a warrior and pursuing the warrior's path is about is, is finding ways to become uncomfortable in chaos. And, uh, just for, for a lot of people who, um, who might not actually know who you are other than, uh, giving me the Josh with a Jedi nickname, which, uh, people may be finding out now for the first time. Uh, I know about you, but maybe you can tell people a little bit about, your journey and uh, why you uh, do what you do. Oh yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Well, I'm a speaker, a martial artist, an author and a high performance coach. Um, I started off in martial arts when I was very young at, at the age of six in Japanese karate. And I studied that till I was about 19 and I competed uh, nationally in tournaments and stuff. I grew up in Canada. I migrated, I mean, not migrated, I got a scholarship to come to play tennis at the University of California, Davis um, in 1997. And I've been in California since then. So I'm 42 now. So I can officially say I'm a Californian. I've lived here more, most more, more of my life than anywhere else. Um, I studied computer and electrical engineering while I was at University of California. And, uh, you know, thought just like everybody else that I'm going to take advantage of the dot-com boom and uh, go to the Silicon Valley and uh, get crazy stop, stock options, make millions of dollars, buy sports cars and do all that kind of stuff. And I was on the track to doing that. And um, the summer before I graduated uh, from UC Davis, I was, I was jumped and I was attacked uh, by, by a local gang in Ocean Beach. It was in the wrong place, wrong time. And divine intervention saved me. The people they were looking for, they thought it was us, but uh, and so we got in this crazy fight and, um, you know, I'm running around. It doesn't look like anything like a, uh, what you see in the movies with people circling you and stuff like that. How'd that karate serve you in that time? Well, I think that one of the things I did an upper block. So if I start the whole story, the way it was, was we were the last two cars to arrive and in ocean beach, the parking lot is elevated and the parking lot is elevated in about a hundred, hundred yards away is the beach. And that's where everybody was at a bonfire. So there's about a hundred people. There's about, I don't know, between five and eight of us between two cars. And we just, we were the last two cars to come and um, we pop open a couple of beers to celebrate. And then literally like a movie out of the darkness and absolutely zero situational awareness on any of our parts. 25 local gangsters appear. There was their turf and they're looking for someone. And my roommate was standing to the left of me looked like the guy that they were looking for. One of the guys had pulled off a two by four off of a fence and I knew he had just pulled it off because the two nails from the ends were still sticking and he was straddling it kind of like a cross, you know, yeah. like he was crucified on it. And then uh, they asked the guy to my right for a cigarette. And the moment we turned to see his answer, they grabbed my roommate, took him into the center, started beating on him. The guy with the two by four swung at me. I did an upper block, which, which stopped that hit the guy, but my elbow totally popped. I have a bone spur that still sticks out. And then they started chasing me between cars, you know? And so they, the, the thing was they fought in formation. So you had about 25 guys. So 10 guys were beaten on them. The other 10 formed a perimeter and they were chasing me. And so it looked more like a rugby match running through the car, the cars as they're hitting and swinging and throwing things at me. And that went on for a few minutes. 
And uh, eventually somebody had called the police and uh, I don't know how long that went on for. It seemed like an eternity. But the most interesting thing happened there is that's the first time that I really realized uh, the matrix moment. I had my matrix moment where time completely stopped. Everything stopped and everything was moving in slow motion. I just didn't know what to do. I didn't have a strategy. I didn't have concepts. I didn't have tactics. So I experienced that stillness and chaos for the very first time and was wholly and totally in it. And, uh, you know, they, they, they talk about it, that extreme violence and traumatic events can trigger that experience. So, so, you know, long story short, the two guys they were looking for walked by, they forgot about us, jumped on them. I dragged my, my roommate to the beach and I came back to look for the, uh, like a license plate or something like that. I'd been hit on my head. I'd been hit a couple of times. I couldn't see properly make the license plate sure, out. it's but orienting for sleep. yeah it's totally disorienting and then the cars started the police started to come from the up up top oceans ocean beaches at the bottom of the hill and then they were getting ready to leave and i remember there was an escalade and then i was trying to get the the license plate of the escalade and then out jumped the uh driver and then he was wearing a gray sweatsuit and i saw him like lift his shirt and reach down i just turned and ran and i heard two shots i don't know if the two shots were at me I don't know if they were in my direction. I wasn't going to find out. So that moment, to- huh? <laughs> so yeah, so yeah, so so I I uh, I didn't want to find out. I just took off, and luckily we were okay. But that that day changed my whole life. Um, you know, I thought I was this tough guy. I've been in many street fights before and stuff like that. And wasn't able to defend my friend, wasn't able to defend myself. I felt full of shame and full of anger. And then I was like, you know what? I'm going to be the baddest. I want to become the most dangerous man that I could become. Uh, then something like this is never going to happen again. So then I went on my journey and uh, I got a good job at the end of the summer. I got a great job in Silicon Valley at a company called Xilinx. And uh, that paid really, really well. And, uh, I was able to afford the best instruction in the world. So what I did was I, I looked up the guys in the Navy SEALs who taught them. I was always a big fan of Bruce Lee. My sensei actually had given me the Tao of Jeet Do and Miyamoto Musashi's Goren no Show when I was 13 years old. And I had them with me all the time. And, uh, now I was on this mission. Now, if I rewind also a little bit later in that summer, what ended up happening, I was also hit by a car in San Francisco uh, when I was crossing, I was going Sansom in Sacramento and a cab driver ran a red light and he hit me. And once he hit me, you know, I, I my car went 20 feet, went into a, a, a lamppost. I was driving one of those Fast and the Furious 1994 Honda Civic slammed to the ground. So there wasn't much protection, but uh, I totally hurt my back and uh, tore my abdominal column. My L4 and L5 vertebrae um, are kind of fused together because of the accident and uh, then, you know, I was kind of like asking the question, what's the purpose? What's this all about? And then I started on my journey. So I started to look for martial arts uh, instructors, people who taught the Navy SEALs. And then I was so angry that I was like, hey, man, I want to learn the death touch. I want to, you know, like, you got to think how messed up somebody is that they want to learn the death touch. <laughs> so, so then I got, I was like, who's going to teach me the death touch? And um, when you think about it, you can't go up to somebody and be like, Hey, teach me the death touch. Because if they know it, they're not going to teach it to you. (laughs) (laughs) This guy's nuts. And then if they don't know it, they're going to teach it to you right away. So, you know, so I knew that much. So I got every book on it possible. And then what I've noticed was it was all associated with the meridians and it's Chinese medicine. And I said, okay, you know what? I'm an engineer. I'll reverse engineer this. 
So I, I enrolled in Tai Chi and in uh, medical Qigong, a four-year medical Qigong program. At the same time that I'm trying to learn from the baddest street fighters on the planet and start studying Jeet Kune Do and the teachers of the Navy SEALs. And what ended up happening over time was I went from the death touch to the healing hand because as I started to work the Tai Chi and the meditation and I started to understand my energetic patterns and the, the, the charges that you store of anger and negativity and shame and fear. And I started to do the meditations and I started to do the work. I started to clear it all out. And I started to clear it all out. It, it, the, those attackers of mine became the greatest blessing in the world because those attackers came and pivoted my entire life. They were like sent from the divine because otherwise I would be, I was driven solely by, by monetary things. I wanted money. I wanted, you know, I wanted to be successful. By the way, there's nothing wrong with that. I love money and so should everybody else because money is energy and, and it buys time and space and freedom. But to me, it was the only thing that I was driven by. And um, this led me into a completely different path. And uh, now I'm here. I'm, I'm the, I have the distinct honor of working with over 150 elite military police and government agencies. I teach them hand-to-hand -hand combat mindset tactics. I, I teach all over the world seminars. I'm, I'm mostly in train the trainer business. So I work with other martial arts instructors and teaching them how to teach. My background is in Jeet Kune Do, Wing Chun, uh, Filipino martial arts, uh, Kali and Serata. I also do boxing, wrestling. I'm a brown belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And uh, I'm a 23rd generation disciple of Chen Taiji. And uh, I've dedicated my life to it since then. And uh, I've been doing this now full-time for the last 12 years. And uh, I'm uh, super excited to be on here with you. Right on, right on. Yeah, it's, um, it, it's interesting uh, how we met. We just met randomly through... Um, <clears throat> Man, there's a, there's a lot of stuff packed in right there. And I've seen uh, a lot of the stuff that, you know, I've, I've been fortunate enough to train with you uh, several times in the last, what, five years ago, I think we met. We met through uh, through uh, Mario, uh, who is the kind of originator of the uh, Blind Community Martial Arts Program that, uh, that Andrea and I teach. And uh, I think that, at least as far as I'm aware, I don't think we met before that. Although, wait, no, we, re we realized after the fact that you and I briefly met in 2011, though, though having no knowledge of each other at the time, uh, you were you were uh, teaching or assisting in teaching with one of your former instructors at the Maya Super Show in 2011. You and I right. maybe just barely briefly crossed paths, or you might have noticed I was taking a picture with your with your former instructor there. Uh, but I think you and I really made a uh, connection. I think in 2015 or so uh, through Mario. I remember right yes absolutely that's right and then i i wasn't the first uh visually impaired or or, or person with a disability you had ever worked with before i mean you've had yeah you've absolutely worked with elite operatives and and, and what have you but you work with all strata and and even people i think in the the mind boxing course that you you did a rad thing by the way by putting out the the mind boxing the tai chi course that um and it, you know, it's still available, but for, for a good chunk of time there, you made it free for people in the midst of the pandemic. Um, you were talking about how you have uh, students and have had clients that have no arms that were able to like trace the, the, do the symbol tracing with their feet. So you find a way to, to teach people elite level stuff, but wherever they are, you know, whoever is the student that's ready. Yeah. I love, I love to teach, you know, I think that, um, 
you know, one of the most important things that, you know, I, I know I give a big Reader's Digest story really quickly because uh, I know you wanted to talk about a whole bunch of other stuff. Sure. And, um, you know, that's the story I always get asked about all the time. So for the back for the readers, gives them a little bit of context. But th- at the end of the day, uh, the ultimate discovery that we all have to make is why are we here? Where did we come from? And uh, what is our mission? You know, what are, where are we going? Why are we here? Where do we come from? And where are we going? Once we can figure that out, you don't start to see things in black and white anymore. You start to you start to see, okay, my mission here. See, my mission is simple. It's it's to use all of my resources to get my students in touch with all of their resources so they can be of service to the world. I don't believe I'm a martial arts instructor or a motivational speaker or you know, I work with companies all across the world and executives and CEOs and business owners. But my job is simple. It's to use all of my resources to get you in touch with your resources so that you can be of service to the world. And I'm in the business of courage, confidence, and clarity. And as soon as I discovered and realized that that was why I'm here, and then my business is pivoted around it. Then my um, teaching methods pivoted around it. And then the energy and the power that you get from your relationship to a divine, a higher source, whatever you believe in, you're in line with it because we all are here for a reason. Yep. And it's, 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 it takes a lot of time sometimes for people to figure that out. And as soon as we know that reason, now we're awake in this dream. And when that happens, it's a really wonderful experience. And, and I, I love teaching. I just love it. It's what I was made and born to do. Cause there's a, there's a, you're a teacher and you know, there's yep. a relationship yep. that happens. That's a very unique one. When you see somebody grow, you see a student finally get something and have love for themselves because they figured how to do something that they thought was impossible. It's huge. It's a fantastic feeling. You know, um, I'm, I'm curious, uh, again, cause I think it'd be cooler to come from your own words, at least a little bit. Uh, so one of the cool things that Buddha brothers has done is, you know, like me, you're talking about before pivoting in the midst of cast. It's why we're doing this podcast. It's why I'm, uh, branching out, trying to develop more online content through my school that at least as of right now, as of the time of the recording, we're not holding physical in-person classes. Um, you did a, a seminar cooperating and, and collaborating with Buddha brothers, uh, Eric and Kyle, some dope people to train with. I was, uh, fortunate enough to, to learn and, uh, train with them in Texas. Uh, what, I, wow. That was last year. seems like a lot's happened in that last year's time, but, um, well, you did a, a, a seminar, a digital seminar with them called martial arts for everyone, where you pull in some of those elite tactics, the mindset stuff. Um, could you give, give people maybe like a little bit of a, a glimpse or cliff notes on kind of the kind of, the stuff that you focus on in that seminar? Yeah, that, that's, so when you look at martial arts, it falls into self-perfection and self-preservation. So both feed each other. So what I mean by self-preservation is the tactics and the strategies that are necessary to um, survive and overcome a violent encounter. Then there's the self-perfection, which is the training methods that you're going to employ so that you develop attributes so that you could pull off those tactics and strategies. So things like timing and speed and line familiarization and distancing, sensitivity, things of that nature. So uh, when we look at martial arts, there's a big divide from a cultural perspective with regards to these are Chinese arts or these are South Asian arts or these are wrestling grappling arts or these are, you know, stand up arts or these are Eastern arts and these are Western arts. So there's this big division, but fighting is fighting. It's it's, it's just a very simple thing. Fighting is fighting in that sense that there's five ranges of combat, empty hands. So you can either kick somebody, you could punch somebody. 
you could trap up their hands, you could clinch them, or you could grapple with them on the ground. So there's five ranges that can happen in an empty hand fight. Then there could be weapons. So somebody could pull out a knife or somebody could have a stick or a bat, you know, something like that, like a street improvised weapon, anything that they could use. And I'm going to stay away from firearms because that's also (laughs) important, but that's not my speciality. And then the next thing could be that there could be multiple opponents. So you have to be prepared for a fight to go from any of the empty hand ranges of kicking, punching, trapping, stand up, grappling, which is clinching or wrestling, and then hitting the ground with grappling on the floor to multiple opponents to edged and blunt weapons. And a fight could be any of those things, or it could be all of those things, and it could change. So what I decided, and we called the course martial arts for everyone, but it takes Jeet Kune Do and Filipino Kali tactics and principles, but I wanted to take away the name of the art in front of it so that it wouldn't divide. Instead, say this is martial arts for everyone, that these are universal principles and tactics that can be employed and deployed by martial artists of all styles and systems that will help them survive a dangerous street fight. Well, and that's one of the things that I, I, and there's a lot of stuff I love about you. Uh, I've been fortunate, like I said, to train with you for a few years now um, is you don't dismiss any aspect of the martial arts journey. You know, a lot of people are very focused on the sport martial arts. A lot of people are very focused on the meditative aspects and you know, that's people have to encounter their journey where they are, you know, if somebody's not ready to learn how to deal with, with, uh, edged weapons, well then, you know, they're probably not ready to do that. I mean, they, they just, maybe they'll focus on jujitsu or whatever. Um, in your journey, you embrace all aspects. I, I've heard you talk several times about how, if you desired, and please correct me if I'm misquoting you, but you talk about if you want to be a complete martial artist, you have to learn the, the, the sport aspect so you can, you know, you have the competition, safe pressure testing, you have the, the traditional aspects, so you can learn kind of the heritage where things came from, the meditative aspect, and, you know, of course, the, the life and death uh, defense, and there's, there's a whole bunch of different ranges, and I, and I think that, um, you know, while some people just were in their journey, they're, they're not ready to move on, or they're really in love with a particular aspect, I really appreciate how uh, you give honor to martial arts that a lot of times people will dismiss as being ineffective and your whole thing is, well, what is it actually training you to do? Um, and, and you embrace a whole bunch of different aspects of martial arts uh, training in the course of your, and, and speaking to that whole thing of, of growing and learning and stuff is you still train with people. You're not just one of those, you know, grand martial arts pubas that's, Oh, I'm, I'm I know everything I know. You're, you're still out there actively training with former pro boxers getting hit in the head in order to learn how to become a better boxer. Um, so there's a couple of things in there, but I, I, I think that's really key that you focus on all those different aspects uh, as you teach your students and your instructors. Yeah, you know, thank you for that. No, that's very good. You've been listening and paying attention. Yeah, good job. I, I do my best. <laughs> I do my best. <laughs> but yeah, no, if you look at martial arts, they fall into three categories. There's traditional arts, there's sport arts, and then there's, you know, what you call reality-based or um, military-based or street fighting-based systems, right? So uh, as a complete martial artist, it, you know, in, it's in the term martial artist, okay? So there's martial and artist. There's the yin-yang, martial tells you right there that this is about life and death. So it it should be obvious that what you're working on is street effective. Okay. Then artist, that's the honest self-expression, the discovery of who you are, your strengths, your weaknesses, how you deal with opportunities, how you deal with threats. And then finally, do you create? Because the the thing that ends up happening most of the time in martial arts is that people follow their teacher and they want to become an exact copy of their teacher. 
and then they are put in a box by their teacher's box. But as me being a teacher, my goal is to shatter that box and for you to see what's outside of it and that I'm not the giver of truth. I'm the pointer to the truth for you to discover on your own. And the power is in that. That's where the power lies. So when we look at it, you know, you sport martial arts, you put on gloves and you box, you got to learn how to get hit. If you can't get hit and you can't defend a jab, it's you're not going to have the timing necessary to do an eye jab in a street fight. You see what I'm saying? And even though that guy may not be a boxer, but now you're not afraid of being hit. You're not afraid of being taken down by a wrestler. You're not afraid. And everybody, even if they don't have training, a lot of people, uh, you know, which I think this is a good thing. Uh, you have a lot of people watching UFC fights and MMA matches that, you know, they might be drunk and completely out of it, but they go for a double leg and they just, because you're unprepared, they get it. Even if they have no training. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then that's, that's the point that I was going to, that you had a great segue that I want to talk about here is like, okay, when we were growing up, okay. So if the, the listeners listening, if you are, I don't know, under 40 or 40 and older or 35 and older, whatever, when you're growing up, uh, if you grew up in the seventies, eighties, nineties, let's put it that way. Um, the, you know, how did you consume martial arts? You consumed martial arts. Or your idea of martial arts was forged by movies. Wax on, wax it was off. Forged by Bruce. <laughs> wax on, wax off. The Karate Kid, Bruce Lee, John Claude Van Damme, right? Stephen Seagal, Chuck Norris. What did you see in all of those movies? You saw some form of stand-up, traditional kung fu, karate kind of art form being shown, right? And so that's how you thought what martial arts was. At the same time, when you were growing up in that era, you watched WWF, right? You watched. Yeah. You and I are old enough to remember before it was WWE. (laughs) Yeah. I refuse to call it WWE. Right. So I grew up with WWF. Right. But we knew I didn't have to ever wrestle a day in my life in the ring to know what a, what a body slam was, yep. what a headlock was, right? Was what, a, what a leg drop sure. was, what yep. a clothesline, right? Because we watched it. Okay, so keep that in mind. Now, fast forward to where we are in 2020. So in 2020, how is martial arts consumed? Martial arts is consumed in 2020 by watching the UFC or MMA or YouTube. So now, this means that it's not a singularity anymore. Before, martial arts, it was exposed in a singularity that was through movies or maybe TV. But what was exposed there was all stand-up-based fighting, okay? And very traditional-based fighting. That's what was shown there. Now, you have no longer a singularity, but a totality. You can go up to YouTube and search night fights. You can go up to YouTube and see um, hundreds of different martial arts instructors and styles and all that. So there's so much information. It's the exact opposite. You can see street fights, you can see ground fights, you can see MMA fights. So you have YouTube and then you have the UFC. And now here's the next thing. If we look at where the future of martial arts is headed, Disney bought ES or DSP Disney owns ESPN, right? And if you think about that, so now keep that in mind last year, ESPN lost in 2019 ESPN launched uh, ESPN plus their streaming application online. Right. So in one year, in the first year of all of 2019, they had something like 6 million subscribers, okay, for all sports. In 2020, it was announced that Conor McGregor would uh, fight, and the subscribership went from 6 million to 7.5 million subscribers by one person in MMA across all sports. Let's think about that for a second. That crazy percentage increase. Keep that in mind. Now, keep this in mind. ESPN now is in the pay-per-view business. ESPN before only showed things for free. So, right, you could watch the NBA playoffs, you could watch football, you could watch everything for free. But UFC now is pay-per-view. 
And that's so they have pay per view. So guess what? It's in ESPN's best interest to make UFC the number one sport in the world. It's a completely different game, you know. And and one of the things that can come, so you can have two significant responses, and sometimes co-occurring. I think is you can get inspiration and be like, you look at somebody's like Justin Wren, you know, uh, who does all the work with the pygmies and stuff, and and yes. kind of his whole journey of being bullied, and you can ident- find a fighter with which you identify. You know, like oh, I went through that, and man, look at look at how much of a badass this guy is now. Um, and then you can also, and, and I think that I, I've seen a lot of people where they, there's so much information, they get overwhelmed. Where would you recommend somebody start if they're like, oh, this is too much? Like, where do I even start to, to begin this whole process? And, you know, because the reality is not everybody's going to be a competitive MMA fighter. I mean, you and I have both. No, talked. no, of course not. So how, how does somebody yeah. channel that for inspiration? Um, you, you know, what's your take on it? How does somebody channel that for inspiration? And also, where does somebody start in their martial arts journey if they don't know where to begin? Okay, great question. So first of all, back to like why I was making that point was yeah, sorry, I got now there. people's no, no problem. It's uh, so we, when we were growing up, you, we know what a body slam is, what a yep. clothesline is, yep. right? So now the lingo is rear naked choke, double leg, tie kick, yep. you know, jab, cross hook. Everybody knew that from boxing before, right? So they're watching that. So that means even if they're not trained, they're going to do that. And even in law enforcement, I've been teaching them mm-hmm. for, you know, uh, over a decade and they've started to see people pull guard on them. So then, you know, it's, it's the different language, double leg takedown. So even if the guy doesn't know, and he's a little drunk, he drops his head, runs into you, gets on top of you, starts pounding you. And it's in the name, it happens double leg anyway, besides, you know, so. exactly rear naked choke, right? So they, it's a different lingo. So, so now they're exposed to different information. So now if little Timmy goes to uh, a karate class, let's say, and he goes to a karate class and he's been watching this on TV. And then the karate instructor is teaching them, uh, you know, down block, reverse punch, all that kind of stuff. And then he asks, well, what about a double leg takedown? I want to learn that. And the instructor's like, well, I'll teach you that later. Or maybe they don't know the answer to it. So, and this can happen in anything. You go yep. to boxing, whatever. So I'm not picking on it. I'm saying the, the lingo has changed. So first as a martial arts instructor and as a student, it's no longer acceptable to be a, uh, master of one we don't live in an era where you could be a master of one or one range so what and then the 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 opposite argument is then those masters are like well i'm a master of this and then the ufc fighters well they're jacks of they're jack of all trades i'm like okay cool so now you're still in a gamble so if you're a really good kicker you're a really good puncher you're going to gamble that you could beat the person that's you know a decent kicker puncher grappler but he has everything else there so it's still a gamble as to who's going to pull that off but in the era we live in you need to become a mass a jack of all trades master of one that's what we have to look at so if you're a karate person you have to have an understanding of what boxer does a stand-up clinch game ground grappling a little bit of weapons now it makes your karate way more effective because you have to plug it in as a lego block against all these other things that's what it's there so it's not to to, to traditional martial artists you don't abandon your art that's your weapon that's what you're really good at but you have to build an arsenal around it so that you can learn how to transition so in today's day and era and as always the highest levels of mastery first of all i don't believe in the word master i believe in mastery which is a masterful process that's continually leading you towards growth mastery is found in the transition 
It's in change and it's in adaptability. Because if I fight you, I don't know how good you are. I don't know. I, don't, I have to change and adapt to you. That's the whole thing. That's the whole thing of being like water. That's the whole thing about flowing around barriers and obstacles, finding holes and seeping through them, fitting in into the containers that you're placed in. So now more than ever, that's what we have to do. But at the same time, you have to have something that you're masterful at. What are you really, really good at so that you can make that even better? I'll give you a prime example. If you right. look at the Conor McGregor fight against Habib Narmagomedov, uh, he's it's a striker versus a grappler, right? Yeah, he, so uh, you Khabib have, is a beast when it comes to grappling. Absolutely, beast, best, probably the best grappler ever in MMA, right? And then you've got Connor, who's one of the best strikers. But here's the thing that ended up happening: because of the threat of the grappling, Connor was worried about the threat of the grappling. That guess what? For the first time in any fight ever, we saw him get knocked down by a punch because he was so worried about the grappling. Because he was yeah. so worried about the grappling. Yep. So that's the, the thing that's what, what I'm trying to say is, and he did a great job defending the grappling. Let's be yeah, honest. It was not an easy, uh, he, he wasn't a pushover by any means. He wasn't a pushover, but what ended up happening there was there, you, you know, you don't see a guy like Habib be able to, you never thought that he would punch and drop McGregor. But the reason he did that was because McGregor was afraid of the grapple. Now, as soon as he's afraid of the grapple, his energy is given to that line and then, therefore, now something that he didn't expect can take him. That's what beats you. It's what you don't expect. If you prepare too much and you make your plans too much around one thing and you're not adaptable, that you're always like looking to defend and you're always looking to stop, you have this idea in your mind as to what needs to happen, what needs to occur, and you're only coming from there and all your energy is given to there, you don't see the holes that are around you. So that's not to say that you don't prepare. You prepare a plan. But when you're in the fight, you've got to let it go. Just like in life, you prepare a plan, but you pivot in the moment the best that you possibly can. But if you're always looking for something that's going to harm you, if you're always looking for something that's going to stop you, your attention is on that. And you, and you can get, there's a, there's an opportunity there that you can get tunnel vision and you don't see what's around you. So you lose the fight around you because you're focused on the fight in front of you. That makes sense. It does. Absolutely. It does. Um, and you know, uh, it's, I think that is one of the things that's all of us are seeing, you know, like, cause martial arts is at least in my you know journey, I've been what martial arts game for consistently now for almost 15 years. It's a metaphor for life, you know? And so you see life reflect back martial arts. You see martial arts reflect back life and the imperative to pivot we're all seeing it right now. You know, our, our businesses have been closed. Many of us, you know, since March, um, dramatically affected for a while. And, you know, people have to respond, you know, it's, it's not a matter of whether or not, I mean, and you, you taught me this and I've, I've seen it in other places and I, I love it. Uh, it's, it's helped me a lot is, you know, you fall down seven times, get back up eight and you find that way of pivoting in the midst of chaos. And, you know, you, you talk a lot about, um, you know, you stillness and stillness, stillness and movement and uh, stillness and chaos and, and how, how valuable that is and being able to pivot and, and not be so fixated uh, on, on a particular thing. I think uh, we can get situationally fixated. You know, it's not just about the, the martial arts side of thing. We can get situationally fixated. We're like, oh, I have to make money X, Y, and Z, A, B, C, D, E, F, G for this particular way. Um, and I think that the, the movable, adaptable 
uh, component that's helpful for martial arts, I think is, is helping a lot of people right now. How would you, um, you can speak to that if you want further on the life philosophy con- uh, connection between martial arts and, and kind of daily life. Also uh, speaking back to if somebody is not a martial artist as of yet, and I say yet, because I think everybody, if they are, are brave enough to walk the path can get there. Um, where would you recommend somebody start if, you know, because we have so many different teachers peddling, you know, their particular method or their particular um, approach to the, to these things. How would you recommend people kind of make that decision to jump in? I'm always kind of curious when people are, are recommending stuff like that. So to speak to that, I think one of the most important things is you have to look at what your goals are. What do you want out of it? Do you want a community? Do you want to have fun? Do you want fitness? Do you know, what do you want out of it? And so that's, that's the most important thing. Are you coming? Have you been attacked or have you been in a traumatic situation? Do you want it for self-defense? Do you want, or do you want all of the above? Right? So the thing is like, what are your goals? So martial arts, not all of it always has to come down to functional fighting and all that kind of stuff. Cause you think about it, it's, it's a community. It's a place that people go. It's a, it can be a hobby for people, which is perfectly fine. It's like, it's either a hobby or it's a lifestyle. Both exist. And what I mean by that is that, what do you want out of it? Do you want to just do forms in kata and have fun expressing yourself that way? Then find a place that gives you that. Do you want to hit things? Find a place that gives you that. Do you like to grapple? Okay. Find a place that gives you that. Do you like weaponry and sticks and knives? Find a place that gives you that. Start with something that you want to do. If you do something you want to do, you will do much better than, than you know, uh, forcing yourself to do something. Then once you've done it for a little while, or even when you're starting, maybe there's something you need to do. Okay. Like, so for example, when I'm working with a soldier or I'm working with um, police and law enforcement, I have to teach them what they need to do. Okay. So it's a different scenario. It's like, okay, is it a want or need or it could be both. Okay. So you have to just look out for what is it that you want. But first and foremost, when we're looking at the civilian population, look for something that you enjoy doing. Martial arts is about so much more than punching and kicking. It's a lifestyle. It's fitness. It's fun. It's functional. There's a philosophy to it. There's family, there's friendships that you build. There's so much you get out of it. So it's really about, I think, what is it that you want? And, And then go find an instructor and make sure you jive with their energy. That's the most important thing. Walk in there and do you like their energy? Do you like the energy and the environment of the school? Do you enjoy it? Is this someplace you can see yourself coming? Is that the kind of atmosphere you want? Some people want a more family atmosphere. Other people want to walk into like a dark dungeon type of gym where people are beating the crap out of each other. <laughs> it's up. To, it's all up to what you want, right? He's like, well, you can go from an underground flight club all the way to like a, you know, like a, a, a kid's class where everybody's happy and it's all about positivity. So all of them exist and there's a whole spectrum there, but you gotta, you gotta know what it is that you're after. And then don't fool yourself that one solves the other. That's the other part. So if you want to do it for fitness and you want to do it for fun and it doesn't necessarily, you know, you're miserable every single time you go to class, you, you're, if, if you want fun and all you get is misery every single time you go, Probably, it's not going to be fun, right? Yeah, you need you need to at yeah. least take it, give use that as a pause to to reevaluate, if nothing else. Absolutely, and then from a self defense perspective, you you have to have a strategy and an idea behind it. So, for example, um, we all take a you know driver's ed class, right? You're yep. forced to take a driver's ed class, and what's a driver's ed class? 
it's not that long, but it teaches you what you need to do for driving. So similarly, there's simple things that you need to learn that you could spend a lifetime practicing that are in a self-defense situation. What do you do against a knife? What do you do if somebody takes you down? What if you do against multiple opponents? You have to be able to answer those questions. So my goal in martial arts for everyone, for example, in that program was to give the strategy for what you do in that situation, plus give you a method so you could train the rest of your life and have fun and, uh, you know, have build fitness and build functional attributes because attributes, the secret is attributes, you know, attributes, speed, timing, um, spatial relationship, line familiarization, distancing, that's an attribute. Stillness is an attribute. Perception and awareness is an attribute. The ability to select your strategy and execute it on time is an attribute. So those are all attributes that have to be developed. And that leads into the, the next second part of your question. So what is the greatest thing that martial arts can teach you about life? At the end of the day, for me, everything that I've learned is from martial arts, to be honest. But the number one thing is, is going to be, actually, there's two things. Number one, know yourself and know your enemy yep. and you're sure to Sun succeed. Tzu. Yep. Sun Tzu. Know yourself, don't know your enemy, it's 50-50. Don't know yourself, don't know your enemy, you're doomed to fail. So, he, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a lifelong journey of truly understanding who are you, who are you really, though, the good, the bad, the ugly, without lying to yourself. What are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? How have you dealt with opportunities? How do you deal with threats? What is the dialogue in your head? How do you train? What do you do? How do you act? Do you react or do you take a moment? Do you pause? Have you trained that in? Do you get emotional? When do you get emotional? Who triggers you? So there's this lifelong study of understanding who you are because when you know yourself, you can see yourself in other people and then you can have better relationships because the fight is a relationship. So that's one important aspect. And the central strategy of all of Sun Tzu's The Art of War, including Miyamoto Musashi's Goro in a show, is all about understanding yourself and understanding the enemy, understanding the strengths and the weaknesses, understanding how do you pivot and how do you uh, employ and deploy strategies. But the next part is very important, and that is weaponizing your awareness. You have to train your awareness and turn it into a weapon. What do I mean by that? There's a self-awareness that's back to understanding and knowing yourself. Okay. What's going on with me An internal awareness. Then there's an empathetic awareness. What's going on with my opponent. I have to be able to watch and observe and read my opponent to understand what's going on with them. Then if I go one step further, listen to how they listen. Now you get one layer deeper, listen to how they listen. You figure out what is important to them. And then now you can facilitate the result that you want. Then there's a situational awareness, which is an environmental awareness, the threats in the environment, what's going on in the environment around you and the opponent in front of you. And finally, last but not least, is a tactile awareness where you take the information from the first three, yourself, your opponent, and the situation, and you pick a strategy that best fits that moment. And all this stuff has to happen instinctually and has to be installed and practiced. So you have strategies, and then you have awareness. Now, when we look at the execution of these strategies and awareness has to have in a, happen in a situation of chaos. So chaos is natural. It's nature's way is chaos. Yeah. That's it's just, it's, our problem is not with chaos. Our problem is with comfort. <laughs> it's how we, and responding hey, to it, yeah. And how, right? Because we, we're too comfortable. We live in a society that's way too comfortable. We're way too comfortable. So we can't deal, so we think chaos is, is the bad guy. Chaos is your canvas for creativity. Hicks and Gracie, when I heard Hicks and Gracie's straight statement that said that the whole point of martial art 
is to make yourself comfortable in an uncomfortable situation. My life changed that day. I was like, oh, that's it. That's the central <laughs> focus point of everything because that's everything that I do. And, but that's the, t that's the meaning of adaptability because you can't adapt unless you make yourself comfortable in a comfortable situation. That means you have to find the stillness and the chaos. So like you mentioned earlier, there's stillness and stillness. That's the first level of practicing yep. where you have to breathe and be still sitting, standing, uh, laying down. However, whatever practice you do, you have to first find stillness. And the still point of the breath is in between the inhale and the exhale and in between the exhale and the inhale. The still point of time is right now. So your mind is not in the future. It's not in the past. It's in now. And the still point of space is where you are currently. You're the center of the universe. So as you start to practice that in stillness, then the point of forms the, or shadow boxing or any movement, running, jogging, bicycling, surfing, you know, well, not surfing yet, but because you're still adapting well, to well, an we'll, we'll, get, we'll get you there. <laughs> but but, but uh, what I mean is that then you have stillness in movement. Then finally you have stillness and movement in chaos. And that's where the surfing comes sure, in because sure. like you're, you're now, the wave is giving you a chaotic opportunity to make yourself a, comfortable to and adapt to and fit in with right because you can't fight yeah. it yeah. so so that's like sparring for example right so the, or or drilling or whatever you choose to do now you have an opportunity to practice stillness while things are moving while an external force is trying to stop you and then make yourself comfortable in that and now when you're out in regular life dude things when things come you just you breathe you relax you have it's it's ingrained in you there's a muscle memory and you just breathe and you relax and you pause you insert a pause where most people when something happens they read they react mm -hmm. and when they react they become predictable when they react they do the same patterns because life is all about patterns martial arts is about patterns business is about patterns everything is about understanding your patterns and other people's patterns back to knowing yourself and knowing your enemy and once you understand that now you can facilitate the results that you want because you have the correct data. Good stuff. Uh, I'm, and, and obviously, uh, you know, awkward segue here, but this is what it is, right? Um, I'm actually trying to soak that in cause that was all dope stuff. I've heard you tell it before. Uh, what are given that this is as of right now, uh, the name we're using for this is adventure mind. Um, what are some of the adventures that, uh, are memorable or meaningful for you that you've had and what are some of the adventures you would like to have? Oh, awesome. Great question. Um, well, I would, I would love uh, one of the ones I've had before is, uh, Africa. I have my, my dad used to live in Africa. So going on safari in Africa has been something that has been always wonderful. Last year I went back to South Africa and I trekked through the bush on foot um, which was really amazing to be, you know, there on land and feel the energy and the vibration, um, that was there and the animals and being aware. So that's something that's always been fantastic and amazing. Um, I've wanted to go to the Amazon, you know, uh, that's an adventure I'd like to have Machu Picchu. Uh, I've been into the Himalayas. I've, I've trekked the Himalayas to the top, to the source of the, the Ganga river. They call it Ganges, but it's pronounced Ganga. And, uh, when I was 16, 17, I did that. Um, when I was a child, I went to the pyramids. I've been to the, in, I've been, I've been to Greece and I've been to all, all, all the uh, wonderful structures there, including the temple of Apollo. So I just love doing that stuff. Uh, but, uh, personally, I think an adventure that's up on the, that I would like to do 
and actually when I moved down to Orange County is I want a paddle board from Orange County to Catalina. I'd like to try that. Um, I thought that's something I'd like to do. And then uh, the Amazon, I've always been interested in the, in the, going to the Antarctic and uh, check out what that's like. Uh, but yeah, Mount Everest is up there too. That man after my own heart, you know, like there's probably a reason why I've, I've been interested in learning from you, uh, for the last handful of years. Cause you, you like me don't want, uh, don't want an easy life. You want a, a life that's, that has meaning. Um, you know, and that's, that's huge. Yeah. You know, there's this saying goes, the key to immortality is to first live a life worth being remembered. Some dope stuff right there. One of the things that, uh, that you've, uh, been uh been really good at um is creating memorable experiences um for your students for the people that come train with you you know uh specifically thinking back to um both uh, the end of the dad retreat from last year and also um you know when i uh, came and taught and then trained trained with you in, in santa cruz in 2017 is you know a single training session uh you seem to be really aware that it is an experience and that if you have an emotional connection in to what you're learning, uh, it'll sink in just a little bit deeper than it would if you're like, okay, well, here's how you do, uh, you know, a a shooto uh, chop and here's how you do this. And, you know, and this is how you shadow box. It's it, you're, you're very keenly aware of the experience you're providing for the people that are training with you. Um, and I mean, you kind of spoke to that already, but like, it's like, it's little, it's like, it's little glimpse into what life could be as a, as a more evolved martial artist. Um, I'm, is that a conscious decision? I'm, I'm pretty sure I know the answer. Um, yeah, you know, I think one of the, one of the things is that I, see, a, t- a technique is just on the physical level. Then you have the next level, every, every, everything, every interaction happens on three layers. Okay. There's always a third, three layer interaction going on with people. There's the physical interaction that's happening. Then there's an energetic, um, interaction that's happening. And then there's a spiritual interaction. And by spiritual interaction, I mean the thoughts of the mind and the feelings of the heart. So if you can teach them something physical, then you can raise their energy. So it's vibrating at and radiating with joy, right. And laughter, and you can help empty their minds. And then you can help to show them towards what is the capacity that is really inside them and how much fun there is. I mean, that's way more important than learning like a technique. And then if they learn the technique at the same time, then that technique, every time they do it will trigger an emotional response for them. It'll create, it'll raise their energy levels for them. Um, I train, I spend 90% of my time training by myself. So this pandemic really is not anything different for me. I've always spent all, like I spend hours upon hours a day training by myself, but I may do the same thing over and over again. But every time I approach it, I approach it with that intention that I'm looking to, and the same thing I do with my students, that everything should have these five pieces. And if we have these five things, in anything we explore, whether it's our own training sessions, whether it's spending time with your kids or your wife, whether it's launching a new project, giving a talk, going surfing, whatever you're going to do, if you bring these five things into it, you'll see quite a different change. So number one, explore, look to explore. So when you look to explore, now you're coming with an open mind. 
You're not coming with, oh, this is the way it should be. So look to explore. When you explore, what does it create? It creates discovery. Now you discover something new. Once you discover something new, it gives you an opportunity to learn. Once you learn, it gives you an opportunity to grow. Once you grow, you have created something new. So every single thing that I do every single day, I'm looking to explore, I'm looking to discover, I'm looking to learn, I'm looking to grow, and I'm looking to create. And if I come with that, I'm coming with the vibration of like, that's what life is all about. Now you bring that into everything you do. So whether it's I'm teaching or I'm spending time with my kids or I'm training by myself or I'm talking to you, I'm looking for that. So I don't have this preconceived fixed idea in my head of what things should be. As soon as we do that, we should all over ourselves. You know, it's like shoulda, woulda, coulda starts to happen. And shoulda, woulda, coulda are the three thieves and they rob you of the moment. But as soon as we flip the script and say, hey, uh, you know, what's what? what, I wonder how easy it would be for me to learn something new today. And so I'm going to explore, I'm going to discover, I'm going to learn, I'm going to grow, and then I'm going to create. I'm going to create a new version of myself. I'm going to create a new movement. I'm going to find something new in something that I've been doing for a long ass time. And in that same movement, I discover something new. So then you, how can you ever get bored and how do you ever stop growing? And then therefore you'll never stagnate. But the moment you say, this is the way things should be done. This is the way my teacher said it should be done. This is how it should, 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 should. And I understand there's a, there's a, there's an idea of under, you know, building form and structure and technique. It's a difference between holding tradition and being dogmatic though. Yes, exactly. Very cool. Um, Man, this has been been some really good stuff in here. I'm I'm so stoked. Uh, is there anything that maybe we didn't get to so far that you really want to uh, touch on, or or uh, any new projects you're working on, or anything that uh, you'd like people to be aware of overall, or even just a fun story that you think is uh, of interest to people? <laughs> I think uh, I, I think at the end of the day, the most important thing that we can all remember in anything we do is memento mori. Like we all wake up, right? So you wake up in the morning, Joshua, do you do a to-do list? Uh, I usually, you know, it's funny. Like I actually look at what I have for the day. Sometimes I don't write it down. Honestly, I'll be, be frank about that, but I am always thinking about what is today going to look like. Sure. Right. So everybody, whether they write it down or they don't, they stop and they think about what they're going to do today. Right. Fully. So the number one thing that everybody can put on their to-do list is I'm going to die. It might happen today. It might happen tomorrow. It might happen 30 years from now, but life is not guaranteed. It's on your to-do list. It's on all our to-do lists. But if we bring it into every day, then we say, Oh man, dude, today could be my last day. Now that the next breath you take, you're going to feel at another level. The next time you look at your kid, you're going to be like, whoa. When you hug them, you're going to be like, wow. And all the little things that bothered you, all the little things that were causing stress, tension, and anxiety in your life, they, they're nothing. You're like, dude, why would I even stress over that? The reason you stress over that is because you get caught up in your own life and you get caught yeah. up with your own self and you get caught up with your own things, right? You're just looking at everything from I, I, I. But as soon as you get rid of I and you do the work to get rid of I, on a daily basis, you can start to really live beyond what, what you are limiting yourself to. Because most of the time, we are 
an acquired version of who we are. We are acquired patterns of what we learn from our parents. We learn growing up, what we learn from experiences and the sum total of all those things shape our reality and how we think and how we operate. And if that's going to be there, guess what? You're going to keep doing the same things that your parents did. You're going to keep doing the same things that you did when you were a child. You're going to keep doing them as a grown ass adult. So at the end of the day, if we want to see change, we have to change how we view the world and we have to die to the previous version of ourselves so that we can release the energy, create space and see things from a different perspective. Because that's the thing that everybody gets caught up, myself included, and I work on it every day. Yeah. And that's why my book, you know, Mindboxing, you, which you know, and Cerebral it's Assassin, which is coming yeah. out. It's coming out. And what is a cerebral assassin? Because when I, my teacher, I said to my teacher one day, because he would say, said to me, you know, it's all a process of dying, dying to your previous version of yourself in existence so that you could come back to you stronger. So there's more space because that's the point of meditation. Because yeah. the saying is you meditate till you die. It means you let go of your thoughts. You let go of your mind. You let go of your expectations. You let go of your attachments, especially to attachments of expectations, victory, defeat, and other people. Only when we can do that can we see clearly because kids don't have that when they're born. They learn that. So once we can let go of that, we create room and we create space and we create a, a, an opportunity to see the great wonder in the world that's there. And it's either your choice to do it daily or you're going to do it on your deathbed. And then you're going to die with regret. Or you could be like, yo, I'm, I spent every day trying to become better but I realized that becoming better was letting go of who I thought I was and not being fixed into that, not worrying about what people say, not trying to please everybody, not worrying about being good enough. Those are the real fears that really uh, steal our adaptivity, our creativity, our connectivity. And then at the end of the day, rob us from this wonderful experience of yeah. life. Now that that's, I couldn't have said it better. You know, and that and that's that is exactly what uh, this adventure mind movement is about. Is about developing a a unapologetic pursuit of a vivid life that is uh, brilliant and beautiful. Um, and and that dying, uh, that that's. If I start talking, I'm going to cheapen it. But what you said exactly speaks to that same point, that same thing that we're after uh, with this podcast. And, and, you know, it's why I teach. That's why I, I surf and I do all the stuff that I do is because there's so much living to be done and we don't know uh, how much life we have. So we might as well enjoy it while we got it. Uh, thank well, that's you. why I gave you the nickname, the Jedi. <laughs> I, seriously, I could not have asked for a better nickname. Like, it's so funny because at first I'll, I'll, I'll just be, be super honest. At first, when you first gave it to me, I was like, Oh man, like, I, like I didn't have the enthusiasm right away. I was like, Oh, okay. I, like, I don't know if I've really kind of fit up, fit in with that. If that's really, if that's an exaggeration of who I am or whatever. And then I, I kind of settled into it. I mean, for me, like the, the Jedi thing, like I, I don't, I didn't grow up with a world without Star Wars. You know, like my, I was like in, in diapers. My dad was taking me to see Empire Strikes Back in the theater and stuff. So like the, there's, there's that aspect of it. And then ultimately speaking though, like there are so many layers to that uh, that were either there before or after. And now um, I can't go to, you know, I've, I've competed in several surf contests 
By the way, didn't actually surf consistently until after you gave me that nickname. I've only been surfing for what, like three years, maybe. Um, but every okay. single sur- every single surf contest that I've gone to, including the ones where I've, I've won, like I can't walk up without a bunch of people going Jedi. It's it's there. It's infectious. People love it. And like I I would uh, uh, I I couldn't have asked for a better nickname. I wouldn't have never chosen it for myself. But somebody gives you that nickname, you run for it as as and uh, and use it as much as you possibly can because I think that's you know it's it's powerful. So so thanks for that. Well, you're well, you're very deserving of it because you're Thank a man you. of action and you live Thank your you. words. And, Thank you. And uh, when we talked about dying to the previous version to come back again, I mean you've been doing it since the start, yeah. and everybody has to do it. You know, it's not it's not like some esoteric like hidden away thing we all do it just know it and then do it consciously and then and then you don't have to wait for a traumatic experience to do it to you because otherwise that's what's going to happen no doubt fully it's better better to uh basically take the adversity and challenges of your choosing rather than having life throw them at you before you're ready uh one thing i cannot believe we almost forgot to talk about this uh so um your uh wing chun sifu who's legendary in his own right uh having come through the lineage of it man who was of course the uh famous uh wing chun instructor for uh for bruce lee um he gave you uh i guess a commission or a mission to, uh what what is that and like because that's that's another element of of overlap and, and interest that that you and i have have had and, and hope to do something with well, he said to me, you know, I've, I've always wanted to have a way to give back. And then over the years, Sifu Ben and I would talk about um, creating a program. So Wing Chun, for those people that don't know, is an art form that requires touch, much like Tai Chi does, much like Jiu Jitsu does. And um, specifically in Wing Chun, a lot of the drills, and it's a close quarter fighting art where once you touch the person, you can start to feel their movements, read their pressure. And according to that, adapt to what they're going to do. And um, the, it, Wing Chun also is a traditional art, but it has forms in it. And the forms are pretty much done in place. So unlike, unlike a karate or kung fu form, which you don't need a lot of, of space room, to practice it. You don't need a lot of space to practice it. So one thing that we would always talk about um, in our training sessions is over, over the decades, over we've been training now for 14 years, is you know how do we get Wing Chun in for the blind? And from a perspective of self-defense, from a perspective of having a hobby, from a perspective of having a lifestyle, to a perspective of having physical fitness. And Wing Chun was the perfect art form for that. And that led me to create a program called Sight Beyond Sight, which you are the ambassador of. And that's when we met. And then and through Mario, that's what really made me interested in coming into the blind and working with the blind at the blind community center there and saying, okay, how can we develop this program, which is based on touch and sensitivity and doesn't require sight. Where as a matter of fact, the highest levels of Wing Chun, when I'm training with my teacher, I'm blindfolded. So I can't see. And then therefore I'm, I have to uh, expand my awareness and, and be able to feel what's happening uh, around me which you are exceptional at. Thank you. And um, so that, that made our relationship even stronger. And, you know, as I'm moving down to Orange County, we start to train more. Our goal with Sight Beyond Sight is to create a martial arts program that is based on Wing Chun. And then in there, we add a little bit of jujitsu, which is also touch-based, a little bit of wrestling and grappling, which is touch-based. And uh, you, you can tell people how you did the, <laughs> your buddy, the shock knife. <laughs> First time, uh, there's a video up, uh, and, and actually, um, 
Eric gave me the footage. He never put it up on YouTube, so I'll actually probably put up the Buddha Brothers spot on my YouTube channel. Uh, but the shock knife, I th- thankfully, there's not video evidence of my first reaction to the shock knife. As much as I say it, people are going to expect me to scream like a girl every time. <laughs> yes, he, yeah, folks, he screamed. He screamed, and I was like, dude, what's going on? It's like I've you? never seen this from you before. Because like, usually I'm doing all kinds of crazy stuff, eating Satan's blood, uh, hot sauce, and giant steaks, and, and, and going and, and, and surfing big waves. and Well, big waves for me anyway. Uh, but electricity, like being electrocuted was like, ah, I'm not ready for this. And, and uh, thankfully, I've gotten over that, though. But uh, you, you use yes, that for yeah, sensitivity in the... <laughs> use that for yeah, sensitivity so people who don't know we use a shock knife which is a, a taser it's a taser shaped in the in the form of a knife and you, it's a sensitivity drill where you have to feel my hand you're in touch and disconnect yourself from the fear of being shocked so that you could perform it's one of the the, the training drills that we incorporate that uses sensitivity so our goal is to have a program which is uses the sensitivity aspects of martial arts, specifically Wing Chun being the base, add a little jujitsu for the ground, and then a little bit of knife work so that we create a complete training program that not only gives them self-defense and confidence, but also gives them a, a connection to martial arts, which is the greatest thing with martial arts is it gives us a lifestyle. We feel like we're a warrior. Yeah. It gives us the ability to deal with things in front of us, right? And that we belong to something and create this program called Sight Beyond Sight and um, really help and see if we can get that across uh, to blind schools eventually. Uh, in every blind school, it should be there. So, but uh, hey, thank you so much. Um, I think uh, I think this is a great introduction and uh, to what this podcast can be, what this movement can be. And uh, definitely... Um, you know, there'll be a link on the, on the guardian quest website, gqdojo.com, uh, where somebody can, uh, can get your martial arts for everyone, uh, seminar through Buddha brothers. And, and, uh, thank you so much, uh, for being a guest, uh, for this new venture. Ah, my honor, brother. Keep up the great work. Keep inspiring the world. Thank you. And, uh, good luck to you. And thanks to everybody for listening. (laughs) 